Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, November 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is qualifying offer season in Major League Baseball. Yes, this is what I live for. I live to know who and who did not receive qualifying offers from their respective teams, who will have draft pick compensation attached if a, another team decides to sign these players in free agency, and just how messed up health-wise are the players who did not receive qualifying offers. These are the things that keep me warm at night, you know. Uh, I was just saying it's house shoe season. Those are the things that keep me warm. I, <laughs> the funny thing about this is, uh, is any of this going to be the case in two months? Like, <laughs> It's like... With the new CBA, will there be qualifying offers? I mean, there's there's some. Uh, I think there's at least one proposal from the union side that uh, basically gets rid of qualifying offers. Yeah, you don't want this if you're a player. Qualifying offers are not a good thing for you. You'd rather just be unencumbered going into the market. So I am, of course, joking. I am not as into qualifying offers as it may seem, but uh, they're fun <laughs> to talk about. Somebody was saying that. Um, J.D. Martinez, maybe the best move for him. It's not the move he made. He, he picked up his $19 million uh, option, player option. But that uh, that the best move he could have made might have been to uh, reject the $19 million uh, option so that he gets the qualifying offer this year, loses about a million dollars, but becomes a free agent without the qualifying offer attached to him right because getting other you're older with that profile having that compensation in the future yeah okay i i could see that being a part of the of the calculus there i think if i was his agent i'd say take every dollar you can right now because you're an old dh yep and uh, teams increasingly are not interested in paying players like that but the number of players i think it was 14 in total that actually received the qualifying offer i'll just lightning round run through them real quick this is in alphabetical order i think it's the list from mlb trade rumors brandon belt nick castellanos michael conforto carlos correa freddie freeman rice iglesias robbie ray eduardo rodriguez Corey seager marcus Simeon, trevor story noah Syndergaard, chris taylor and justin verlander now in that list like a lot of those guys aren't a surprise like every great free agent like Correa and Freeman and Seager. Those guys always get a qualifying offer. It doesn't change the market for them at all. Almost none of them will uh, will take it. It's a guarantee that they won't because they're looking at huge contracts much, much longer than a one-year $18.4 million deal. There's a few names on that list, though, that I think are, are interesting because like Brandon Belt, for example, keeping him in San Francisco and him getting one more year at $18 million, He's the kind of player that's not probably getting a multi-year deal based on age and injury history. So it could be the best of all worlds for him to end up staying in San Francisco at that rate. Because even if even if he only gets the qualifying offer this time, gets the free agency next year and gets like four to six million for a year or something, that's probably more combined than what he'd get on the open market right now. Is he getting more than two for twenty five as a free agent if he leaves? I don't know. I don't think so. And in fact I think this could be the basis of a discussion started between him and the Giants that leads to something like what Brandon Crawford got, but less. Um, so Brandon Crawford got two and 32, I think. Uh, I wouldn't give uh, Belt that much, but if you already, uh, if he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to accept this. You're already, you're already in it in for 18. Maybe, maybe you do do something like two for 30, uh, two for 24 or something. Offer him, you know, there's six for the next year or something. Um, you know, they they've said they would do stuff like that. So anyway, I think yeah, I think Belt might take it. Um I think Rice Iglesias might take it. Yep. Because you know, you're probably looking at something like three for thirty, three for forty five, maybe at tops, three for forty. And you could get three for forty or you could get one for eight nineteen. I think he's he's borderline. Three for thirty again later. Yeah. Like he could definitely do it. Trevor Story, I, I never thought I would actually believe it was possible, but I don't, I don't think he wants to stay in Colorado, period. So that yeah. there's part of that. And he's already sort of said he won't. <laughs> but I do wonder if it's more of like a, a Marcus Simeon situation where he does end up taking a shorter deal, proving that you know this year was just, in fact, a down year, and then he can come oh, back well. and cash in the way we expected him to a year from now. Like That, that wouldn't be shocking. Especially because he has to prove... 
to some people, I, I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of people in baseball are, are comfortable with the idea that there is a course hangover effect and that hitters sometimes are surprisingly good when they leave cores. Right. Um, but you could do something where you, you, you take a year and then you prove to everyone, yeah, I can still hit. And maybe you have to prove to them that you're, you can hit enough to play third or the arm is good enough to play third. Cause the arm is falling off. Uh, that sounds bad. Uh, the arm, the arm speed is, is, is declining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like his arm is falling off. Uh, but uh, the arm speed is declining. So maybe he's a second baseman or a third baseman. Although the third baseman, you'd want the arm, right? Yeah. You would need arm. So, Maybe somebody, uh, I think, you know, I think the Giants are an interesting uh, spot for him. You know, uh, he basically becomes the everyday starter at second base and pushes um, the other guys, you know, like La Stella and, uh, and Flores into depth. Basically, La Stella and Flores are a really interesting righty-lefty bench combo to have, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think if you're the Giants, you're trying to replicate the build of your 2021 roster as much as you possibly can and having that extra everyday infielder that can play a couple of spots. I mean, if you mostly play story at second, but some days you want to play him at short because you want to give Crawford a day off that. And he's a right hander, right? Yeah. So he, you know, you could actually sit Crawford against lefties, which has been happening and use that to keep him fresh. And also, you know, regain the the position advantage. All of a sudden you've got story at short and uh, Flores at second. Uh, he's not a good defender, but you can maybe make it happen. Yeah, no, Flores is fine as uh, as a part time guy. I think he's a really good part time player on a per plate appearance basis. Uh, the other position player that I think is pretty interesting for qualifying offer purposes is actually Chris Taylor, because I just don't know. I don't know what team is going to go out there and give Chris Taylor a multi-year deal, that that three for 40 type contract that everybody in this group would be kind of hoping for other than those big, big name guys who are going to get a lot more. I think so. This is a copycat league, though, you know, and like Chris Taylor was a big part of why the Dodgers were good. There's there's been pieces written, you know, uh, like actual like research out there that's, you know, about how he's worth more than what his what his war number is because of his versatility so i feel like there's other teams to be like can i just buy some versatility you know mm-hmm. um you know maybe i can't afford marcus simeon in toronto but maybe i can buy chris taylor and move him around a bunch um you know so i i think that chris taylor will will leave i mean or or be or signed to a long-term deal even in in la yeah, I wonder. I just wonder what that's really going to look like. But yeah, versatility for sure, valuable. I think the thing that gives me concern about Taylor over a longer term deal is just there's swing and miss. Even though he does so the many things out. well, yeah, that strikeout rate if it ticks up a little higher, we run into some trouble with him. I, I'm in a. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But I'm in a draft champions uh, league that's uh, that's drafting right now, um, and we had a a chance at. Um, I'm actually. Uh, I assume he's a listener. Uh, I'm co-managing with a listener. Um, and we had a choice between Cronenworth and Chris Taylor at one point. Um, and Taylor ended up going two rounds later. Uh, either we reached on Cronenworth, but we just felt a lot better about Cronenworth because of that strikeout rate and, and the age. Yeah, exactly. So again, Chris Taylor could be a great signing for any number of teams, could end up being fine for the life of a multi-year deal, but I thought he was kind of uh, in the middle in terms of maybe being tempted to take one year at $18 million, depending on what else is out there. Um, I think you know, Justin Verlander and Noah Syndergaard, two pitchers coming back from Tommy John, they're both interesting because they could end up taking it. And I think if I remember correctly, today is the day, Monday is the day that Verlander is supposed to throw at the Cressy facility. So a bunch of teams are going to be on hand for that. The thing that makes Verlander interesting to me is we're talking about a guy that had Tommy John in October. I think he also had a better health record than Syndergaard going into that. Just an overall better health record than Syndergaard who had like hamstring stuff and, you know. Yeah, I think lat stuff too. But yeah, so we're almost like 18 months removed from Tommy John for Verlander. 
once we there get to opening day. Suggests the longer you wait, the better the outcomes are. Yeah, so that timing could be really good. I, I don't know. I, I think he makes a lot of sense. It, he might not take the offer simply because he can get more even on a one-year deal. Even if that's what he's limited to, he might get one for 25 or one for 30. But then, of course, again, the Astros would get that compensation uh, if he goes elsewhere. So that's pretty interesting. Syndergaard, I mean, it, it is rare like to it's see. It's almost a lock that Syndergaard takes that. You think so? Yeah, Here, man. Here's the two, question, though. Two innings pitched in the last two seasons. All he wants to do is pitch. We're not going down the Mets spiral today. Uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll go down to them multiple times between now and, and opening day. But if you're him and you've dealt with other injuries besides Tommy John and you maybe you're among the people in that organization who have no faith in the medical staff. Oh, do you yeah, want to continue wanna go somewhere else? Don't you want to go somewhere else? And, and if, if you're going to take a short term deal anyway, like pick your spot and go to a place that succeeds in that he way probably gets more he gets does he get more so like there was a level of older pitcher on a one-year deal that existed last year it was sort of one in 10 to 12 mm-hmm. that was kluber uh paxton hill like i know that some of them were less and some of them were more but it's sort of around that sort of one in 10 uh Sinegra gets more than that because he's younger Yes, I think so. I mean, Paxton and Paxton's injury history, I think, was even even worse even than Syndergaard's. Yeah, I just think I, I I bet he takes it. I bet he takes it. Um, then there was uh, also the names that were notable notable for not getting one. Mm-hmm. Um, number one on that list being Clayton Kershaw, but number two probably being Carlos Rodon. Um, those are two that could have gotten it easily. Maybe John Gray, throw him in there. Um, those are pitchers that you would think most teams would just want because they're you know, like, there's an interesting thing where people are like, he's not worth 18 million. Well, maybe not, but you know, the same pitcher that someone would pay three and 40 for, they would love to have on one and 18. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's some, there's like, there's a, there's a relationship between number of years. Like part of why Bauer got so much was because it was structured in a way that the Dodgers would only be on the hook for two years. Most right. likely. So, and so, you know, I think, I think that that's uh, a meaningful in this discussion where I think, I think a, most teams around baseball, if they thought they had a shot at, anything getting anything from those three players next year they would give them one in 18 so i think it's bad news for kershaw's forearm well yeah and i think the the simplest argument for that too is that which team's medical staff knows the most about clayton kershaw's health well it's the dodgers and it's the same with carlos rodon with the white Sox. those those guys have only pitched professionally in those organizations like they they know the medicals as well as anyone so rodon started having shoulder issues which are more more concerning than forearms, and then Kershaw really strikes me as some of those angels pitchers that um, got that had like a forearm problem, and then took the p the, he he got like a PRP injection or something. Kershaw did, mm-hmm. and he's like hoping to come back. It just really reminds me of all those guys. I think Garrett Richards was like that. Um, who else got surgery from the Angels? But there was there was a few where they were like, no, I'm gonna. Get this PRP injection, maybe even Skaggs. Um, but they had a they had a couple of guys that that chose the PRP injection and, and ended up getting uh, Tommy John anyway. And I think you know just from reading the tea leaves when he went down, like the kind of articles that went up, the kind of the way people were talking about it, the way he was immediately uh, ruled out for the whole postseason, and there was no like, well, we'll give it a week and see how he feels. You know, um, I think. Uh, I'm pessimistic about Kershaw's next season. Yeah, I mean, they're saying it's forearm, but you just, you never want to take that at full face value. It could be forearm plus elbow, and they're only talking about the forearm. And unfortunately, it looks like relative bad news for Clayton Kershaw. Of course, we'll wait more. But the kind of deal that he gets, I bet, is like, remember that Garrett Richards deal that he got with San Diego? Oh, it was a two year deal, right? Like one year to get him through the injury in the second year sort of like here's what we expect you to pitch so like we're going to pay I, you a lot less for the year that you're hurt yeah we'll pay you some more when you come back and, and it, it might sound like insulting to someone of kershaw's uh you know ability but like two and 15 two and 20 
and what you're hoping for is you pay you pay him 10 million to rehab and then you pay 10 million for like a, a 15 or 20 million dollar pitcher the next year yeah i i hope he's okay i just don't really expect him to be based on on these developments at least for uh, a while so rodon is a little bit more it's surprising because i mean he was throwing high 90s in the in even after the shoulder stuff in the in the playoffs yeah so um i think you gotta like if you're drafting or if you're you're considering his future you gotta think wow that's a little surprising that they kind of you know were so pessimistic about him but i think while I can understand the injury-related concerns dictating the decision not to give qualifying offers to both Kershaw and Rodon, I'm very surprised the Rockies didn't give one to John Gray since they were trying to give him an extension. And innings are everything. And it's hard to get pitchers to choose to sign in Colorado anyway. So it's an important it's an important tool to have in the box if you're the decision-maker in Colorado to be able to keep a pitcher for an extra year potentially by giving him the best possible offer on the market. But I think he's going to get multi-year offers somewhere else because John Gray, for the most part, for the most part, has been pretty healthy over the course of his career. And he's not just a two-pitch guy. He flashes four pitches. And I'm just curious to know what you think about his stuff and how it might play not having to make those adjustments going in and out of Colorado because... I suspect there are going to be at least a handful of teams interested in Gray on a multi-year deal. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you notice uh, if you look at his curveball stuff over time is that it just it wildly oscillates. And so, you know, you can say, you know, he's uh, got like a below average or average curveball. I think uh, you could say also in the parlance of scouts that he that it flashes above average. I don't know if it flashes plus, but it flashes above average. And usually guys who can um, spin as good of a slider as he can, you know, can do something else with the ball, like either throw a cutter or throw a curveball. You know, like there's, you know, that's the trend in baseball these days is to have like three breaking balls um, and, and don't worry about the the changeup. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that curve, you know, if you gave him a full season uh, somewhere else uh, could, could be a legitimate third pitch. And so, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that they offered him something that sounds like three and 30. And here I'm saying like, if you're like, it's really close that if you offer a guy three and 30 and you can have him for one and 18, I swear, I swear that's the same thing, you know? So like, I think that they, they're not valuing things correctly because like, what's the worst case scenario? Also, the worst case scenario is you get him slightly too much for for next year, and you only you only value him. Let's say that you're for three for thirty, you actually value him one at fifteen, right? Yeah, that makes maybe that's what your your math is a little different than Eno Saris's. Eno Saris is an idiot, and you're it's one for fifteen, not one for eighteen. No, you're still the idiot because one for eighteen is the same as one for fifteen, and especially once you uh consider that on the out on the other end when he does leave uh you'll get some compensation for it like trading him you know or he leaves he, he just he declines the option and leaves this year and, and gives you prospects you know, yeah gives you draft picks so i think that that those outcomes are worth uh maybe paying the extra three million or whatever right ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing everest in flip-flops We've all been there, but here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Well, so the good news is we have opportunities to act on these things. We have chances to leverage the possibilities of John Gray outside of Colorado. We did not wait even one second. You know, the season ended and here we are. My wife is already rolling her eyes at me. She's like, what? I showed a lot of restraint by not pushing out rankings a month ago. I'm still working on them. I decided, I'm like, you know what? Let the playoffs happen. Just enjoy that. There's not that much of an appetite for rankings for the following season in October. That's starting to develop now. So now the target date is Monday the 15th, one week from today, because then they'll be battle-tested a couple of times. I'll find flaws in them, some of the flaws. I'm not going to find all the flaws between now and then. It's just not enough time. But draft champions leagues have begun. I'm on the clock right now. I'm literally on the clock right now in a league. Pick 307, and I have John Gray in my queue. It's the 21st round. It's a 15-team league. And this is a league where you don't make in-season moves, right? 50 rounds where there are no in-season pickups. So just having healthy pitchers ends up being very helpful as the season rolls along. I kind of like John Gray in this spot. I kind of think it makes some sense to at least consider him here. Speed's hard to get. So there's a handful of guys that I could maybe chase that were in the minors for most of last season or all of it in, in the case of Jeter Downs. I think it's too early for him. But Josh Lowe is sitting out there. So I think he's a consideration maybe possible sources of saves, which are also hard to find. You could throw a dart at Devin Williams around here. I don't know. I, I'm actually kind of torn as to what direction to choose here. Yeah, you're, you're, you uh, pieced out on, on relievers, so uh, that's always uh, some consideration that you, you, have to, you have to buy saves on some level, so you have to have something. I guess the thing that you will have to do is have something like 10 relievers on your squad instead of seven or something, or, you know, seven instead of five or whatever it is, you're going to have to do more quantity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the question for you is just like, when do I start accruing the quantity? (laughs) Right. Is it too early to start taking non-closer relievers in the 21st round? Well, maybe not. I mean, depending on the the quality of those guys. Devin Williams is probably the very best of that. I think he's the only one of the guys Chad I would consider Green. to take here. Yeah, it seems early for Green because I think if you miss out on Chad Green, there are other teams, Chad Greens, that you can get in round 35, right? The, you don't the Yankees have to do themselves that now. have Jonathan Lewisiger. Right. So I guess the question is is John Gray worth taking here or do I take Devin Williams because I don't have any relievers? You know, in the concept of, of pitching plus, which is a little bit better of an in season tool than uh, a season to season tool. You can see that in his away starts, uh, Gray's curveball was basically like a 105. Uh, and then in his home starts, it was like uh, an 80. Hmm. That's a an huge difference. It really is. Because if it's a 105, then he's got a slider at 110 stuff plus. He'll have a curveball at 105. And he'll have a fastball at 90-95. Yeah. And that's uh, that. That's a pretty. That's a, an above average uh, arsenal, especially with the, the show me slider. That I mean, the show me changeup. That um, you know, you're also betting on like pitching coaching at his new destination. I mean, we're talking about a guy that is over a strikeout per inning, even in bad circumstances. Has ratios that don't completely ruin you, even though you don't want to use him all the time. And what is he what is he capable of like a 375 and a, a 120 for the ratios with a similar strikeout rate maybe even a slightly better one and better team context means better usage and higher win probabilities like is that expecting too much if i think he's a that sort of ratios guy like i that that seems pretty fair yeah i think uh, uh you know i think he's an ideal guy to have near the bottom of your of your staff of your starting staff and that's what he'll be. Like he'll be so my start eighth starting pitcher. percent of the time for you, or something. Yeah. All right. Gray's the pick. That's that's the direction I'm going to go because the more people stop and think about what he might be, literally anywhere else, the more people are going to say, "Hey, wait, we should be taking this oh. guy earlier." And in like a situation like this, where it's a it's like kind of a slow draft, and the the board is open, like any there there could be like one little piece of news, and then he'll get picked. 
right. like, you know, the right team, you know, he's linked to the right team or, or, or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I do, I do wonder what the pace of news will be. There's going to be right now we're kind of ending, uh, coming out of the moratorium after the World Series. So there is news. There's all these qualifying offer news. There, people can sign people. And we might get some teams trying to get out in front of the CBA or whatever and just you know sign someone now uh, because uh, it's, a, it's slightly more risky, but maybe they think they get a better price for it or they get the jump on a player that they, that they know they want no matter what the details are, especially a team like the Dodgers, you know, who's like, I don't care what this, the, the CBT tax is, you know, I don't, I don't care what the luxury tax level is. I, I blown through it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're just going to go do it again, you know, or a team like the giants who no matter what the threshold is, will have a lot of money in between them and the threshold. They have a lot of money to spend. And a team like the giants could be like, Hey, what if we just get in there and like, jump in there and give get story for like three and 60. And then everyone later is like, dang, we paid like 240 million more for our shortstop. Yeah. I mean, there is a benefit sometimes to being a first mover. I think sometimes we see, God, it's usually like second tier free agents that go. I think Robbie Ray was a quick sign with the Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say a couple of seasons ago. The top one wants to wait as long as possible. He wants to, you know, he wants to make sure he's getting the very best deal. He wants to get he wants to get the mystery team involved, you know. He wants to get like, you know, three teams really battling it out for him. Whereas Robbie Ray is like, you know, you know, a guy like that is like who's going to, you know, like Andrew Haney. Andrew Haney I bet signs in the next couple of weeks. Right, because waiting it out for him could mean not having a job until March if he overplays it whereas choosing where he goes team, sets himself up a lot better if some yeah, other team yeah, blocks exactly him. if one team with like a maybe a nice home park for once you know for him or you know an nl team or a team with a great pitching coach that he really respects you know like you know he might sign in a second right so we'll pull back to the beginning i didn't mean to dive into hey should i take john gray here it just happened to, i literally went on the clock as we were talking about him and it it was something that i was on my mind even before we started recording i'm like hey wait a minute we're only in the 15th it's a little bit too early for gray for us yeah it'll def- i mean and I, i'm not even all in on saying what i did was right but i felt like if we got that good news on gray and almost anywhere he could go is good news in some capacity either a better team better ballpark better coaching staff or all the above then excitement's going to tick up again people were overdrafting john gray for years in colorado i was Mm -hmm. never one of them but there's enough there to be excited about him uh, going somewhere else let's start at the top let's talk about how the first round has shaped up in a couple of these leagues that we've done these are 15 team leagues as i mentioned before if you're watching us on youtube we are blindfolded by the first round Uh, i can't move the graphic at least I have to make a different graphic to make it show up differently. So yeah, it's a bit of a metaphor. It really is. Uh, this is this is <laughs> this is how we live our lives in November. Uh, so this is the first one on the screen. The first one we're going to talk about is the first round for my draft. It went Tatis, Trey Turner, Soto, Vlad Jr., and Bichette rounding out the top five. Let's stop there. That's five. Yeah, yeah. because I've got a five. You and got your five. five. I want to throw that up. You've got Tatis, Tatis Turner, Turner Soto. Soto, Burns, Acuna. Yeah, and I did a slow draft with Todd Zola at the end of September that ran into the second week of October. Acuna went at the 1-2 turn in that league, and he did not go until the 12th pick. I threw mine back up on the screen just now. The 12th pick of the one that I'm in right now. I don't think the question is, you know, there was some debate in our draft room, like when will he be ready, but I, I, I think he'll... I think he'll he'll make it back. You know, uh, he had surgery on July twenty second, um, and I think for th- these types of athletes, like six to eight months is doable. I mean, he's not a basketball player, um, so I think he'll be doing baseball activities in March. So I think he can make it back for the beginning of the season. Don't you? I think it's possible. I you wouldn't want to bet on it. I don't want to assume in the first round, early and first round, especially. And also, how many steals will he go for? Always a question with a player coming off of just any sort of significant leg injury. How much extra running will they do? But I, I hope, I hope the way players and teams try to think about rehab is more: you are healthy, 
play the way you want to play, that that's almost as much of a, a mental barrier as it is a, a physical one. And predicting mm-hmm. who's going to trust a surgically repaired knee, that yeah, seems trust, really hard to trust do. Trust factors, yeah. I mean, that's something you hear from Tommy John guys. Is like what that first time you really let it fly. Right. So there's a little bit of that. But it, I don't know. Like I, I wonder if we also think too much about steals specifically as it pertains to these injuries. Like everything else a player has to do, it, stopping and starting in the outfield might be and, more rigorous for Acuna. He got hurt in the outfield. That might be the bigger block than taking off and, and stealing second base. And I'll have to tell you something, man. I feel like this first round, especially among the bats, is like is one of the worst since I've started playing. And I'm I'm not uh, denigrating the specific talents. Like uh, Tatis, uh, an amazing, amazing elite talent. Acuna, amazing, amazing elite talent. Soto, one of the best hitters maybe of all time when it's all done, you know? Um, but Soto doesn't steal bases. Acuna's coming off an injury. Tatis is not having surgery for an injury, so he may deal with that injury throughout the season. Um, Turner is in some ways the most complete player, but he also doesn't project to be the best player in terms of projections, right? So I, I feel like I could play... I, I could like tell you the faults of every bat in the first round. I think that's just the, a sign that you are becoming older and wiser <laughs> and uh, more of a curmudgeon. More curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Yeah, uh, maybe, but you know, when you, you, you can do the same thing for the arms, of course. Yeah, of course. But I think I think you are are just looking at this through the lens of someone who's now like in the market for life insurance. Like you're just like, <laughs> what could go wrong? Like, what what disaster could happen to me? Screw and not, you. <laughs> we're basically we're almost the same age. So this, this is not this isn't me picking on you know Erickson or something. Man, is what you're doing. No, I I I feel the same way but about no, the first the round. The first this round year. is supposed to be the life insurance. You know what I'm saying? The first round is supposed to be the the rock solid pick. Okay, so like Tatis, obviously it's the shoulder. He avoided surgery. Avoiding surgery is supposed to be a good thing. I think we've talked about it on the show before. How long not does in he a avoid? Chronic it? thing that's going to keep popping out. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, I would ding him more, you know, considering how bad Bellinger was. <laughs> so I would probably dig him more if he got the surgery, but long term, I'd be more excited. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't take Tatis first. Um, uh, we we ended up um, in the 13th pick, which my co-manager wanted. And you um, got Mike Trout. We got Mike Trout, and then we got Mookie Betts coming back. That's a in, really nice start. In your league, um, Betts went in the first. Yeah, more picks there. It's like they're multiplying. The bricks on the screen just keep growing. Uh, Bets went 10th overall. The, the way I look at the board right now, regardless of what you think about those hitters individually, uh, I wanted the 7th pick. That was one of my higher priority picks for this particular draft because having done one already, I thought there was a chance where I would get one of Soto or Bo Bichette or maybe one of the other hitters that goes earlier. Again, it was mm-hmm. Tatis, Turner, Soto, Vlad, Bichette, Jose Ramirez. I thought one of those six hitters would be there, or I would have my choice of whatever pitcher I wanted. I could take my SP1, which right now is Corbin Burns. So it's weird. I have two teams for this season, and Corbin Burns was my first round pick on both of them, and I'm not wearing my Brewers hat today. But But having that seventh pick and having the choice between Bichette and Ramirez is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I think Bichette and Ramirez, um, they actually kind of strike me along with Turner as like the traditional first round pick you know guys with really high floors who do everything yep um so those are I think in some ways um the conservative first round like the 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 you know the the careful first round picks the projections for steamer are currently up over at fangrafts the first of the the public facing projections that go up if you look at Trey Turner's projection from Steamer versus Bo Bichette's, the difference is basically nine steals in favor of Turner, but two points of batting average in favor of Bichette. And Turner, I think for everybody, is like maybe the safest early first rounder. 
Like, even if you believe in Tatis' skills, you're worried about the health, and you would prefer Tatis to Turner straight up, you're not feeling bad about Turner because overall there's a good track record of health. He's shown good amounts of power for a few seasons now, still has the speed. Obviously, being a Dodger might be in a position to pile up the best counting stats we've seen so far in his career. That could happen, too. It doesn't even have to for him to be valuable there. So I would agree mm-hmm. that Bichette is now pretty safely in that first-round group. And I was skeptical of him entering this season, not because I didn't think his hit tool was good or anything like that. I mostly was just afraid we hadn't seen that much of him in the big leagues. I thought maybe he'd go through a phase of adjustments where the K rate would go up and the average would come down and he wouldn't be able to to help in all five categories throughout a full season with, with teams making adjustments to him. I also just wasn't sure how many bases he'd steal, you know? He'd only stolen eight in like 300 plate appearances going into the season. Right, and we, we wondered if the Jays, with the makeup of that offense, how much mm-hmm. were they going to push guys on the base pass? How much would they have to? Could they be a team more like Houston where they they really don't run? And part of the reason the Astros don't run is because of who they have, right? But earlier in his career, we thought Carlos Correa was going to steal some bases. He doesn't really steal any. Bregman doesn't really run all that much. Altuve mm-hmm. runs a little now, ran a lot back in the day. But I, I think there was, was reason to be concerned about a lineup that could do as much damage as the Jays, not giving as many green lights as we wanted them to. So anyway, those were my concerns with Bichette. Those are gone. Bo Bichette to me is legitimately a a solid mid first rounder who might even creep up into that top five on occasion. I mean, if you, if you, you want the no warts guys, I think it's Turner Ramirez, Bichette, um, Soto and Vlad Guerrero jr. Yeah. I think you could make a pretty good argument that those should be the top five. And I, I but you know, Tatis is just it's just so and Acuna are just the 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 chance of getting a top three guy, you know, if the if if they're healthy is very exciting, obviously. But I think I wouldn't I'm not I don't know. If you had the number one pick, would you take Tatis right now? In any sort of overall contest. I think I would take Tatis because I think those extra bags uh, mean so much. In a standalone league where I'm not worried about what's happening in a field of hundreds, if I'm just playing against 14 other people or 11 Mm -hmm. other people, I might be more inclined to take Soto in those standalone leagues because I think Soto's projection is just kind of in a tier of its own in a way similar to what peak Trout was. Less steals, of course. More peak Miguel Cabrera, I think. Right, yes. I think that's the better. 35... You know, the better comparison for sure. Because we've obsessed about stolen bases in the fantasy community for years now. Last few seasons, it's been like the primary theme of draft season. How are we going to get enough steals? Juan Soto runs a little bit for one. Number two, like the more I've played and the more I've tried to build teams around the occasional Adalberto Mondesi or Byron Buxton when he ran more, guys like that when I thought, yeah, I can get that guy that runs in the early rounds who's not a first-rounder, and I can get most of my bags from that player. It hasn't worked out, and I know that's that's more of a that's more of a flaw to health in those players specifically, but to mitigate risk, injuries can happen to anyone, right? I mean, Acuna can get hurt chasing down a fly ball. Guys can get hurt doing anything. I think just from a, a way of, of taking this scarce resource, it's hard to find in season. I want to try as best I can to scatter that around on my roster. I want a lot of guys that run some. And there are times where I'll take a guy that runs a lot and it's totally fine. I just don't want to I, I want to make sure I'm not overpaying for that one skill and giving up on surplus value in other categories. And I think with Soto, people might have some misguided understandings about what those counting stats are going to look like because the first argument I think you're going to hear against Soto as the first overall pick or an early early first rounder the lineup might not be good around him no one's going to pitch to him and I just don't know I don't think I really believe that is going to be as much of an issue as some people are going to make it out to be yeah I think they'll field a representative lineup and you know over the course of a season maybe in like a, a postseason a postseason series maybe they do some wild things pitching wise but like over the course of a season I think you know, people will pitch to him, try to win games, you know. Yeah, he's he's going to get his. So, And I again. 100% agree with your idea of um, 
of getting a little bit everywhere. That's been our approach. So we got Trout, Betts, just on the hitters, Trout, Betts, Story, uh, Muncie, Grisham, Cabrian Hayes, Cronenworth, and Rizzo. Yeah. So you, yeah. we feel like we have maybe 70 steals already in, in hand, maybe 75, 80, and we're trying to get 100. So like maybe we'd get like somebody near the end just to pad it, but you know, we're, we're, we feel pretty good about that. Just getting a little handful from everybody. And that's, that's the same kind of approach I ended up following here. I mean, after I took Burns at, at seven overall, I went Simeon, Machado, Tim Anderson, Springer, Buxton, Bellinger, and Yelich. So I went seven straight hitters before I went back to, to getting some arms. And that's a nutty little group there. What was that? <laughs> Say that again. Simeon, Machado, Anderson, no, then, the the next oh, group. The, out, the four outfielders, Springer, yeah. Buxton, Bellinger, and Yelich. Whoo. That, that that's, like, that's the kind of stuff that could like win you the overall. <laughs> yeah, and I mean I could also I don't think it'll like cost a, you that much. If it worst case scenario, those guys are just like meh outfielders. They're all gonna play. Like so, I think so yeah. I mean in Buxton uh, okay, Buxton's has some track risk record of being platooned. Some, but I don't know, man. Like I, the shoulder was clearly more of an issue than we all thought it was coming to the season. Like that's fairly obvious. No, I, I like I like buying low. It's just you know how much do you think about the concept of you know I wrote about lineup diversity um, in in here, but I but sometimes I think about the concept of um, diversity of approach in, mm-hmm. in in this. So like we we were uh, light on pitching, right? And we had Sale, Darvish, um, and then we were looking at a third pitcher, and we were debating between Kershaw and um, and Urquidy. And like throwing Kershaw on there, like yeah, you could have a Sale, Darvish, Kershaw season next year that would make us like one of the best pitching or the best pitching staff in our division, or like a really good pitching staff, having spent almost nothing on pitching. Um, but we were just kind of like, are we really going to do that again? So going uh, Yelich, Yelich Bellinger, uh, like double tap right there is like, you went there again. You you did the same profile. Mm-hmm. You, you hit it hard. I'd rather do that with hitters than with pitchers. I think the, yeah, you can dream on that, that pitching trio that you mentioned, but Sale and Darvish is a very risky one-two, relatively speaking. Yeah. At that point, I don't think your your best flyers like Steven Strasburg. If I don't, Strasburg might go late enough where it's a moot point. But right, right. there are certain types of guys that you don't necessarily want to stack on. Now that we kind of want to buy some innings. <laughs> so in here's what, so maybe I'm, and maybe I'm wrong about how much bounce back I have. Maybe it, it, maybe it should be two out of three out of Buxton, Bellinger, and Yelich. Maybe that's yeah. going one too far. I am fully ready to admit that's a possibility. What I got obsessed with, though, in the moment was with closers getting pushed up. It, 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 closers went in the third, started going in the third round. Hendrickson Hader went at 3-2 and 3-3 in this draft. I was looking at Bellinger, the next pick was Jordan Romano. And I like Jordan Romano enough, but you're telling me I can get Cody Bellinger and the person next to me is going to take Jordan Romano and I can't go 20 rounds later and take the next Jordan Romano or at least who I think could be the next Jordan Romano. Like, because Jordan Romano wasn't anything to start last year. It seems a little easier to me to find a a, a replacement for a Jordan Romano, a, a, a knockoff version of Jordan Romano my TJ Maxx version of Jordan Romano, that seems easier than finding the TJ Maxx version of Cody Bellinger. Especially since pitching plus beats projections. Da, 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 da. <laughs> you, gonna We're going to have leaderboards for you guys. I promise. Da, 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 da. So what, you do? <laughs> what did What did I, what, what were some names that I was throwing out there? Uh, Paul, you want to take the players in my queue and throw them out there, and then the people in my league <laughs> For can just to... snipe my cue if, if they like the guys. They, I don't think people that I'm playing against here are like, well, I got to get ahead of DVR. I got to do whatever he's... No, no, that's that's not how this works. It's more of just them knowing who's in my queue that I'm worried about in time. Well, here's a, here's, a, here's a guy that's been picked um, and that we picked that we felt uh, pretty strong about um, based on the pitching plus. David Bednar... Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a good uh, is in a good spot. I got him in the 14th, um, and 
the pitching plus is is through the roof. It's like 109, 110. Let's see here. He has the same pitching plus as um here's Bednar as Craig Kimbrell and Devin Williams. It's good. So uh, so uh, that's that's uh, a name that has come up where that's near the end of the you know after him went like Garrett Whitlock and uh, Blake Trinan where you're like there's a little bit more of a hope situation there Bednar I think is pretty much locked in as the Pittsburgh guy so we kind of started this conversation looking at first rounders we got partway through we got through the first five I think and we kind of got spiraled so I'll just run through them the rest of the first round. Jose Ramirez, clear first rounder, I think, in most leagues. Corbin Burns among the first pitchers off the board. I took him at seven. Kyle Tucker, I think, is frequently either late first rounder, early second rounder, but might even pop up. He went eighth in this draft. He went at the turn for us, and we deba- we debated him against Trout. Yeah, I mean, there you like go. So he, idea. so he belongs in, in the conversation for sure. Um, Shohei Otani also, I mean... We've talked it's difficult for this setup because you're basically just buying him as a bat, which he right. projects as a, as like a top five, top six bat now. Yeah, even even if you just say, I don't care, I'm not going to use him as a pitcher. He's my UT and he's going to do everything. He's going to hit 270 with 35 plus bombs and he's going to steal 20 bases. Well, that's a first rounder. So a little bit of risk on that strikeout rate. Probably one of the worst strikeout rates in this first round. Yes, eyeballing it the across worst. the board. Tatis the might be... Close. Uh, Tatis is close, yeah. He'd be the only guy that's close. Everybody else would be lower, and Acuna, I guess, would be somewhat close. At least he was pre this season. Uh, he was cutting it. Harper looks like kind of like the new Freddie Freeman, where he's the the safe, boring late first rounder. Betts yeah. is kind of becoming that sort of player. Uh, what are you doing with pitching in the first round? I mean, Burns, Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller. Uh, it's not Jacob Degrom because of uncertainty about his health. But if you are taking the first pitcher off the board. Who is it and which spot? Like, how many hitters do you think belong ahead of whoever it is you have as your first pitcher? Yeah, I think I think I'm a little bit more tempted um, to take a pitcher in the first round, given how soft I find parts of this first round uh, to be. But um, I think that Cole, Degrom, and Scherzer, and even a little bit of Bueller have some question marks that make me a little bit uncomfortable about taking them in the first round. I think Burns, Woodruff, and I guess Bueller um, are the are the three pitchers that I think belong there. But Bueller really kind of fell off in the second half. I mean, there was signs of fatigue. The stuff was uh, falling off. The spin rate was falling off. Uh, you know, he's one of the biggest year-over-year uh, volume changers mm-hmm. you know um i don't know there's there's some sort of whiff of risk around there for me too yeah i i think with bueller it, I, I don't really i don't know i don't i don't know if it's like all those things kind of combining into one where i'm like oh yeah he's he's not first but he's top five like i, I don't know if mm-hmm. i just want to punt because i don't think there's a ceiling there but I also was like, is he going to just be the same guy when he comes back next year? Or is he going to try and tinker and, and find ways to get spin back or to, to bring something out of the arsenal more often? Like, it, I still have a lot of confidence in that organization and how it's they're good, going to good handle it. Coaching, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, even like we're talking about some in-season decline. Even with that, the final results were really good, and yeah. you're not dealing with you know the AL East now. One thing you have to think about, that edge that NL pitchers have had over AL pitchers, I keep throwing the the bricks up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube because people, I don't know, probably find that more visually interesting than our faces. That edge might go away. That edge might go away. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at Bueller versus, well, I guess there's not even, I guess you had to go the other direction. Bueller versus Cole. The things I think that they would smash everybody towards Cole, who I think mm-hmm. is a back-end first-rounder. Yeah, that's. I think that that gap, like if you were on Bueller over Cole, because of the lack of universal DH, that switch might be enough to flip the order for you. So to me, I'm comfortable considering a pitcher around the time when I no longer have a young mid-career stud bat looking at me, and I think that's basically Trout 
Harper bets. So you would take a pitcher over those guys because you can get we didn't. one of them coming back through. We went trout bet sale, but um I could see if Burns was available to me or Bueller or maybe Woodruff, all three were not available to us. We did debate Woodruff until he went two picks before us. So I do think at sort of 13 to 14, if you have Woodruff, Bueller, or Burns still, and maybe Cole still out there, one of them, I'd say I'd say consider doing it because the difference between Trout and Betts is probably not that big. If you think you can get Betts coming back or you can get Harper coming back or you can get, uh, you know, this in ours, Tucker, you can almost get going back. So if it's if it's like a, you know, kind of a mid-career, used-to-be-great outfielder, there's like three or four of them right there. Yeah, and when you take a look at the first five rounds all stocked together, you can kind of see a better idea of what the foundation really looks like. It's it's more than who are you going to get at one, who are you going to get at two. It's kind of who are you going to get in those first four to five rounds. What what does it look like if you wait on pitching? What's there? If you push pitching early, do you feel good enough about the mix of, of power and speed that you're able to, to put together in the rounds after? Uh, there's a Bobby Witt Jr. nice in, in that deep blue shade, round three. Wow. I, I, I mean, ours is round nine. That's a that would be aggressive. But yeah. uh, I would recommend, uh, you know, having an opinion on you, Darvish, because he's fallen to the fifth and he had great strikeout minus walk rates last year and just, you know, everything else fell apart. Uh, if you think, if you think that you, Darvish, is, is still good, uh, He's got a good price on him again. Yeah, he didn't even go in the first five rounds of of the draft that I'm in, which is surprising to me because I, I bet he starts moving up as people start identifying him. But you know, yeah, he went uh, right after Dylan Cease and before Alec Manoa, which uh, yeah, fine, those are both good arms, but they have a lot more question marks around them than uh, like a, a tried and true veteran like you, Darvish. I think. Darvish is to me like you could probably get away with him as a wait for my first pitcher guy. You're gonna hammer a couple pitchers behind him, of course, just to get like three in the first nine or ten rounds. If you're doing that, he's kind of an ideal SP two though. He's a great fit there. If you had a, a Burns, we we took him Woodruff. higher because our SP one was Sale, and so I agree with you. I think that there's uh, should be volume there. Mm-hmm. And so the sale sale was like, well, there should be quality there. Hopefully, also volume. I mean, they're both kind of they're they're both risky. I'm not going to say they're not, but we we definitely we were the weight on pitching team. There's only one team that waited longer than us. That's a good thing, though. I think taking a different approach than the room is really good. I think the question comes down to execution. Do you have enough late pitchers value wise that? come back and exceed expectations do you do your sources of saves come through if you don't take a, a closer in the first 20 rounds like um you know some idiot that might be talking on this podcast right now uh, was that thought out ahead of time well no it was a reaction to what was happening in the moment have i done enough homework to save it uh, that's debatable <laughs> the, the stuff plus leaderboard is my friend for, yeah exactly for for subscribers the um if you just look at my last command and stuff report, I think it's why should anyone care about uh, stuff plus? Um, I've got a link in there to the Google Doc with the that I've updated with the year end of year uh, stuff and command numbers, the location numbers. Um, and I do think that given what we know, um, if you're looking among relievers, just look at pitching plus, look at stuff plus. That that's an, a really good place to start. If you're looking at starters, it is the projections do beat pitching plus year to year. So the way that I would use pitching plus among starters is using pitching plus and stuff plus to identify sleepers. So look for small sample guys that pitched late last year, people came back from injury, um, just people that you know other people don't know whether to trust or not because their samples are so small. You should know more uh, about them because of pitching plus. So that's uh, that's something that that's a process I'll be going through, and of course I'll write pieces about it, and you, you know we can do it that way, but you can also do your own sleuthing uh, with that sort of background. And uh, we're working on getting a leaderboard up uh, for the new year that you'll be able to sort and filter yourself and do do more sophisticated things on. Looking forward to that for sure. Now 
A couple mailbag questions. One was a tweet that came in probably back when the playoffs started, back when the Rays were were still uh, part of the conversation. It was a question about where we think Shane Boz is going to end up going in drafts. And I think players like that are among the most difficult to project. I, I have a reasonably high amount of confidence in, in projecting ranges for a lot of types of players, but pitchers that came up late in the year and flashed excellent stuff, that is not the group that I feel confident in where I can say, I think the market's going to treat the player this way. Seeing a couple drafts so far, I took Shane Boz in the ninth round of the draft that we're talking about right Tenth now. Yeah, yeah, tenth in yours. I think he might have gone eighth in the eighth round of the one I did with Where Zola. Where did Hauk go? Where did Hauk go? Hauk, Tanner Hauk went in the twelfth round. So in ours, it went Baz Hauk, which I think is uh, right on line with what you were talking about, and Gilbert in the eighth. So basically, uh, if you like a young pitcher uh, of that caliber, you got to take him in the eighth or ninth. Yeah, at least in the you know, higher stakes, team. NFBC sort of situation. you got to go get your guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's That seems to be the price. Now, the subsequent follow-up question is, does that make sense based on everything you've said about Pitching Plus and the numbers we've seen from Boz? Yeah. All three of them. Baz, Hauk, and Gilbert. If you want to put those three in a, in a hand, in a group, in a tier, and, and wait and, until one goes and then take the one of the other two, that's a that's a fine approach if you ask me. Yeah, and the order in this one, it was Boz, then it was Gilbert in the early half of the 10th, and then a little discount for Hauk uh, in the 12th. But I could see those guys getting clustered up a little bit closer together. Uh, we had one other mailbag question about Pitching Plus. This is from Cameron. You know, recently tweeted that his Pitching Plus model likes Herman Marquez's curveball the best. Just looking at the stuff, I was a bit confused. Savant says it has below average movement compared to other curveballs around its velocity. I understand that it's thrown hard, but what other non-command features do you think make it so favorable? Uh, we got one here. Uh, you know, we got some heat maps for the YouTube watchers. Uh, this is velocity against uh, dif- vertical differential off of the fastball. Um, so he actually, uh, he's in that group of kind of harder, flatter curveballs, if that makes sense. Uh, you can see that, uh, mostly curveballs over 82 or so do pretty well, no matter what kind of movement they have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on this one, then the next one is kind of interesting. He has some seam shifted wake effects. So axis Delta here is the difference between, um, your uh, inferred, like movement inferred uh, spin axis and your actual observed spin axis. So he has a you know 25 degree difference. Uh, he's in a group of other other curveballs and that that have good seam shifted wake appearances there at the bottom left. Um, and uh, so there's something about uh, his curveball that works. I think it's some it's it's basically like a, a gyro curve. It has very low spin efficiency. Um, and, uh, that can work. So, um, it's not something that really pops on a savant page. You know, they don't have this on the Savant page, the, you know, the axis Delta spin efficiency <laughs> integration, <laughs> uh, but it does require, uh, having some gyro spin and having a low spin efficiency breaking ball to have a seam shifted weight breaking ball. That's something we know for sure. So in, in, in this case, his low spin efficiency, benefits him. Uh, I would say probably in some sort of deception. It's a curveball that acts weird. Think of uh, Elysier Hernandez's strange-ass 80-mile-an-hour cutter he throws. That is a very odd pitch, as we've talked about before. Like, so, just yeah. nothing quite like it. Herman Marquez basically throws an 82-mile-an-hour gyro slider You know that he calls his curveball. But hopefully that sheds some light on uh, what's going on with the. I, I wish that, I, you know I wish these things were a little bit less black box, but you know, and we may not have the, that feature integration aspect that we were just showing you uh, in version one uh, on the site. Uh, but I do kind of want to put it in eventually because it will help you understand why something is good. Because you can put different features together on the heat map, and you go, "Oh, his, his is good because it has the seam shifted wake deception," or "Oh, it's good because of this." So. Um, hopefully we'll have that at least in version two, but I can always make a uh, grabs for people who are interested. 
Excellent. Well, keep the questions coming. We really appreciate those. Thank you for that question, Cameron. And thank you for the Shane Boz question. I forget who asked that it was that long ago. I just had a note to bring him back up when it came back around. You can tweet questions at us. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Be sure to barrel up on the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. You can get 33% off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That discount applies to your first year, so be sure to get that if you don't already have a subscription. The other way to reach us, of course, you can email us, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Still time to get emails in before I get down to inbox zero at the end of the year. It's an ongoing effort that has uh, resumed now that the playoffs are over. So send those just, questions just in. Just give up. Just give I'm not up giving and up. be free. You know, I, 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 I will enjoy the, the lack of weight on my shoulders more if I can just get the boulder off myself. <laughs> if I get the boulder up the hill, I'll feel better. If I just let the boulder roll down the hill into the village, that's going to be a bad thing. Well, my athletic email, uh, I got attached to all the like Zoom, you know, press release lists. No, game <laughs> like, over. That that thing. That, just that that's if yeah. Just just delete all. You're more likely to get me uh, on Twitter than you are in my <laughs> athletic email. <laughs> on that note, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. But we have an episode coming up on Wednesday with Eno Britt and myself. So be sure to check that out live from the general managers' meetings. Should be a good time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.